Welcome to the Robcast. If you dig this, subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash robshow. Follow me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash robshowtv. And keep up to date with all things Rob Show on social, The Rob Show, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And now for your listening pleasure, today's Robcast. All right, joining me in studio. I'm very excited, actually. Uh, so I've had, am I, man. I've booked you a few times before. Uh, you looked familiar radio. when I walked in. I knew I looked. you looked familiar. You're always a good radio guest, and that's why. I mean, well, you have I a rock. detailed history of being on the radio. Yeah. Uh, and we'll get to that. The Howard Stern Show you were an intern for, right? Yeah, I was an intern, but just really fast when you yeah. said that about being good on the radio, that makes me happy because um, I was so bad on the radio when I first started out. Really? Yeah, because... And it's so funny, like you have to get, like there's things in show business you just have to get good at. Yeah. And that's one of the things And I remember, there were two things I wasn't good at when I first started out. I wasn't good at emceeing because I'm, uh, I always thought like, oh, I should be a headliner. And I remember saying to three things that I wasn't good at. So I remember saying to my, to some guy who was giving me some spots, I can't emcee, I can't emcee. And he remember him saying to me, like, you better learn how to emcee real fast because that's all you're going to be doing for the next 10 yeah. years. And I was like, oh, that was a really weird thing to hear. Like you, you have to get good at it. And so I got really good at that. This is why if I have a bad MC now, I have no forgiveness for them. I, yeah. I hope they die because yeah, <laughs> because you learn how to be a good MC. Yeah. Like, it takes time. And not only that, but it's such an art. And if you just dial it in, number one complaint I have is when an MC goes up and reads your credits off a piece of paper. Oh, really? yeah. The no. audience is supposed to be excited about you and you can't even remember what the person is? When I started, because I've been doing comedy for, it'll be four years in December. And I got, yeah. when I first started, first of all, Mitch Fatel joining us yeah. in studio. We never even did that. Mitch yeah. Fatel's joining us here. Fatel. Fatel. You can see him all weekend long. The show started Wednesday, right? You did a Wednesday show all the way through Sunday? <clears throat> yeah. They usually start Thursday through Saturday Thursday through Sunday, but I happen to be in the area because my parents live up here. So oh, where do like, they live at? How far? They live in Boynton Beach. Oh, okay, cool. So once I heard there's a hurricane there, I ran here and I was like, let them just figure it out on yeah. their own. <laughs> I don't really love them that much. So. Uh, so you can see them all weekend long. I started comedy about four years ago and being yeah. on the radio, the one thing, it gets you booked quickly. I was on Cowhead right, show right, up right. in Tampa yeah. when I first started. So the first, like, yeah. I'm not kidding you, a month into doing stand-up, I was hosting at Side Splitters, which was a big deal because you don't get to be in front of an actual paying audience. And how were you doing? Terrible. But, you I mean, they would laugh because they would listen to the radio show and they'd come out because right. of that. But it took, it took, I actually got fired from Cowhead show about a year and a half into it. And getting fired was one of the best things that happened for stand-up because it taught me yep. I have to go out and actually earn those spots. And yeah. it took about two years before I became an MC, but the, uh, a good MC. But the best advice I was given was act like it's a party and these are your funny friends that mm -hmm. you're introducing to everybody else and you're just there to get the party Great started. Tell them it. some jokes, yeah. get them warmed up, tell them about the drink specials and then inform them of how great of a show they are in for and then act like it's your house party and yeah. these are your guests. Yeah, and, and here's something probably a little heartening to you and to anybody else starting out. So I have a new special coming out. I just told you about it. It's called Bad Girls. It's going to be coming out on either Hulu or Amazon Congratulations. In, in the winter now. So I made a bad... A bad mistake about eight years ago. And the mistake I made is, uh, it's so funny, like, we're still always kids in show business. You never really grow up. You're yeah. still a kid. You get paid to play. So what I did is I got I got a special on Comedy Central. It was an hour special. And uh, and I it, it took, like, after we taped it, maybe six months for it to come out. Okay. And then one day it just came out. I was like, oh, my God, it's out. And I went to the club the next day and I realized, oh my God, 
I haven't worked on a new act in that six months. I forgot that like it's going to be coming out on TV. And when something's out on TV, if anybody comes and sees you and they see that they see that same bit, they go like, "Well, that's exactly what he did." And yeah, so, yeah, they and they know where you're heading with the joke because they've already seen it played out on TV. So I was like, "Oh my god!" I remember feeling like a kid who all of a sudden had to write a book report the night before. The night before, <laughs> yeah. you remember that? Like yeah. you'd always save the uh-huh. book, and you'd be like, I, don't, "I can't read this book." You'd have a whole semester to work on it, and I remember feeling like this panicked feeling, like, "How am I going to write a new act in in like six months?" One people, you know, whatever. And it took me so long to write a new act. I finally got a new act down, and it took me a couple of years. And I decided not to rush this one out. And this is my new special. It's the new act that I was working on. It took six years to write. So, wow. So what's interesting is, and it's probably my best work. So. Uh, this special now was not going to be coming out till the winter. I taped it last year and I said to myself, I'm going to write a new act now. I'm going to learn from my past mistakes. I'm going to write a new act before this act comes out on TV. So okay. that, that way I have a whole new act. So people that come to the show be like, oh my God, it's a brand new act. Yeah. So I made it, and this goes back to you hosting and being terrible. So I made a promise to myself <laughs> and the promise to myself was, unless it's a professionally paid show, if I go up anywhere that's for free, anywhere, I'm not going to do one joke that I know works. It's all going to be new material. And I'm going to, and I, because my theory was when you start out as an open mic or you don't have an act yet, so you have to die a lot. And then your mind makes you start writing material because you hate that feeling so much of dying. Yeah. So I made this rule for myself. I am not going to do any material that I know works at any unpaid event. And all of a sudden I was dying again, just like I started out. Like, and I was realizing like, like, oh, it's not really us. Like, here's this professional comedian. And I would go into these clubs. People would be like, oh my God, Mitch Fatale's here. Because I'm kind of famous. And then I would go <laughs> on stage and just eat it. Yeah. And I mean, eat it like, like crickets. And you could tell that people were like, oh, he's not that funny anymore. And now because of doing that, it's now six months later, I already have 30 minutes of great new material. Is it true that you, because I read an article, maybe an interview somewhere where you said that you, the first thing you do every morning, you sit down, you write, you have your coffee, you write for a half hour yeah. and then you don't pick up the pen and paper again until 5 PM that afternoon. And you yeah. only write for a half hour. Okay. The, the, the thing that have changed is that is two things have changed. First of all, I do write a half hour every day, but it's a, it's two half hour sessions. So okay. it's an hour a day. Uh, I don't write anymore. I use a computer. Yeah. I used to be one of those guys that was a purist and thought like, oh, I'll just write with a pen. But then I realized like you can write so much faster, at least my mind with a computer because you can interchange words so mm-hmm. fast. And so I think that's why I've been able to write a faster act. Like literally the computer has changed my life because that's what I do. I wake up in the morning. First I go work out. As a matter of fact, see, I'm in my workout clothes right now. Sun's out, guns out with yeah, Mitch yeah, Fatel. Yeah, yeah. Joining me in studio, Mitch Fatel. See him all weekend long. His specials are all up at MitchFatel.com, F-A-T-E-L.com. Public display uh, displays of perversion, mini skirts and muffins and super retardo. And the new one at Bad Girls. Bad Girls. That's comes not out available in September, yet. Or December. December. Or, yeah, is that when? Well, we're thinking January probably. Okay. It'll be available. Now, did December. you shoot that special yourself? Do you have to put up all the money and produce that I yourself? I finally decided, yeah. So my last Comedy Central special was so bad. It was really bad. Not super retarded. That one was my best one. And then and then my second Comedy, my second Comedy Central special, I didn't like. And so I made a choice that time that I was like, we are now in charge of our own destiny as comedians. And I was like, I am never going to let someone else edit my own special. Oh, so they take, yeah. Cause they cut it up. They and cut they, it up. They make, they, and it, and it's an assembly line. They don't have any passion for the, 
for the work. No, so, they weren't up there eating it and telling those jokes and working so, them out. Yeah, so the, I don't like the way they cut it, and I think it was a failure. And so I was like, I'm going to make my own thing this time and sell it. And luckily, it's the best thing I've done. So we're getting some good. Is that hard when you spend all that time to put into a product, and then you go and you watch it on Comedy Central, mm-hmm. and you go, oh, they took out all the funny. Kills your... Listen, I'm not going to blame them either. I I take responsibility too for for this. This is this is what's been happening. If you've seen Amy Schumer's new special or Kevin Hart's new special, they suck. And the reason why they suck so bad is because these artists are doing specials. They're putting out another one a year later, and comedians need years to develop good material. You can't just put out another special every year. Yeah. Most of us are not George Carlin. We can't do that. No, I mean, he could, and they were fun to listen to and fun to watch, but there's few and far between that can still do that. They can still do that. And, you know, if you've seen Kevin Hart's new special where he's in a stadium or something, an English stadium, it's just horrible. Yeah. And it's open mic stuff. It's because he was just trying to rush out an act. And I was like, and so I was guilty of that when I did this last special for Comedy Central. They offered me an hour, and I was like, we don't turn down an hour, but I had just done an hour. A, 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 a 30-minute special, Mm -hmm. and then before that, I had done a bunch of different stuff on TV, so I had to kind of force a lot of material out that wasn't ready yet, Yeah. so I'm responsible, too, for that. So I just decided on all avenues I was going to do it the way I wanted to do it and do it when I wanted to do it, and then my theory on that now is if someone wants to buy it, which we have interest, I will sell it, and if not, I will just release it myself, and then, you know, because we're, we're at that great point in our careers, and technology now where we don't necessarily need those people to get our stuff out there. No, there's so many different avenues now. I just watched um, yeah. Andrew Schultz put out a special and it's going viral because he's putting clips up on YouTube. Yeah, I heard about are going that. Yeah. and watching the little clips in YouTube and he's getting hundreds of thousands of hits because it's, you know, a joke or two and that's it. And I went, man, just, there's so many different right. ways you can present it now and so many different yeah. outlets that you can present stand up. What is you talked about specials you don't like. What is a special that you've seen that you do like recently? Have there been any? Yeah. Um, I like all of Louis C.K.'s stuff. Um, Sarah Silverman's last special was awesome. Um, I did not like that Nanette special with Hannah Gadsby. Yeah. But because I could only get through 15 minutes of it because I just didn't think it was funny. But then I was like, you know something I keep hearing about it. I'm going to put a little more time into it. And I wouldn't say I like it, but I would say now it's passable to me. Like, okay, so it came around. You gave it enough time. and I saw what she was trying to do. And yeah. I thought it was kind of cool. Um, I, you know, uh, I, Neil Brennan's special I thought was pretty decent. Three mics. Have you seen that one? I have not. That's pretty good. I watched. I have not seen the new uh, Chappelle one. Yeah, I'm going to go watch that one soon. Yeah, I heard it's all over the news. I he mean, did something right. <laughs> yeah, he's getting pressed. Yeah. And the thing is, he already got paid for it. I mean, Netflix already gave him the money. So I, I wonder what the interest is there. Like, does he get residuals from all of that? Well, Netflix is insanely happy about what's going on. Yeah, Dave Chappelle, I know what he did. He got to the point where he has so much money that he's like, I don't. Because as artists, there's so many things we want to say that we can't say because they're not politically correct to say, or they're and and you and I personally can't say a lot of what I'd like to say because if you do, you will get ruined. But when you have fifty million dollars in the bank, 
you go, okay, I've done it all. Yeah. So if you want to hate me now, you can hate me. And I, you know, and that's why I think even Louis CK is going out and doing it again because he has enough money that he doesn't need to do it. He just loves writing. And he's like, Hey, I want to put it out there for the people that still want to hear it. And the people that don't want to hear it, that's fine. They, he that, came to, he went to side splitters in Tampa, sold out sold the out, entire weekend yeah. in like 10 minutes. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, so much for all those people that were, Oh, I'm going to go protest. I'm not going to see a Louis CK show. All that crap. It's a very weird society now where we, and it's a very scary time where we make a decision that we don't like something and we feel that we have the right to tell other people not to see it or not to do it. Like some people are not offended by what other people are offended by. And we're allowed to go like, nah, that didn't offend me. Like yeah. if that bothers you. I remember once I saw Paul Mooney in concert. You know who Paul Mooney yeah. is? And, and I thought it was really hateful really hateful towards white people. And I was sitting there watching it with my wife and it was just how evil white people are and white people, this white people suck. And it was just really racist and gross. And I thought it was just really, and it was obviously incendiary. And I felt really uncomfortable because first of all, I didn't think it was funny. And second of all, I felt like it was making the audience feel very divided, the white people and the black people. Yeah. So I just turned to my wife and I said, not for us. Right. And she's like, Nope. And we just walked out. What's interesting is this. I never talked about that show again until I started talking about this thing because back then my thought process was never, I have to go tell people not to see Paul Mooney. This is horrible what Paul Mooney's doing. My thought process was simply like, that's not for me. I don't have to watch mm -hmm. that and I'm not going to watch it and I don't care. And I never, ever thought in a million years to tell people like, you have to stop hiring here. He does this, he does this. I was like, if people want to go see Paul Mooney, they're more than welcome to see Paul Mooney, but it's not for me. And there's everybody in the world that's not for us. Yeah. And those are the people you don't see. I don't want to bring, I don't want to bring too much of it up, but I did read the article about, I, it was like a USO tour where they complained about your act yeah. and your response was the best. <laughs> This guy who fights for my freedom to have speech and be able to say the things I want is now upset that yeah. I use that freedom and said what I wanted to say. And it's that all of a sudden one guy gets upset and now everybody's they're going to boycott you. And all of a sudden I have to worry about losing sponsors and losing uh -huh. fans. And what did you do? You just did what you've always been doing. And Rob, what was so ironic about that is if you had seen this tour I was on, it was one army base after the other of people just flipping over themselves to thank me for coming. Yeah. Oh my God, that's, we haven't seen a funny material in so long. It's, you know, it was just like, I felt like a hero. And cause what I did is I said, I'm going to do my act. And, and these are people that we're paying to go and die for us. Like, and we're, we're going to decide that my, what I say is going to like, apparently they're scared of a rape culture. So I had a joke in my act. I used to do it. I can't do it anymore because it will get booed now. Um, but it's it's a joke I used to say. Uh, the I love I love that moment when you slide a girl's panties off for the first time. I like it so much. I slide them back on and I slide them off. I go and I'll do that five or six times until the girl wakes up. I used to get <laughs> humongous laughs. Yeah, it's funny. It was the best best joke I had for a while and for years and years and years. That joke was just a killer. Nobody yeah. ever. Took, and then one day, all of a sudden, we were introduced to the Me Too crap and all this stuff. And all of a sudden now that was causing rape. My joke now suddenly was causing rape. And I was like, it's, it's so silly. And first of all, the joke was about my wife who I'm married to. And it's a joke. And all of a sudden, like, so that joke I was doing on army bases and I was getting a laugh. And then all of a sudden that Colonel was like, we have a rape culture here. We're fighting. And I was like, Mitch Fatel is responsible for people raping <laughs> yeah, people now yeah, overseas. Seriously. Yeah. So 
So I was like, so you're trusting these people to go and make decisions on who to shoot in the head, but you don't think that they can make a decision like maybe rape is wrong, even though Mitch Fatel just made a joke that's not even about rape, but could be construed in some way. And and they fired me and I was proud of myself because I said I never changed what I did and everybody loved it. Yeah. Every, every The women and the men, the soldiers are insanely amazing soldiers, all loved it. It was just one colonel that was like... Uh, and and he was such a pussy. He actually said, like, I should have come on the stage and grabbed the mic from him. He said that. He wrote, I, and if I could go back, I would do that. I would do, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, you didn't come on stage and grab the mic because you would have been booed because I was killing yeah. at that show. That is it weird now with because you have the new special coming out. Is there anything that you wanted to go and you went, you know what? I'm just going to not say mm-hmm. that. I'm not. Yeah. And, but has that is that what changed the Me Too movement happening is because in prior to the Me Too movement, you would have said it. And now all of a sudden you can't. That joke, the panty joke I had yeah. to take out. Man. That was one of my best jokes. It's never been on video. I had it all ready to go. And then I was working out that set somewhere and I said that joke and some woman from the audience yelled out, that's rape. That's rape. And I was just like, oh my God, I can't go through this anymore. Yeah. I talked to my good friend, Elliot Woolsey, who's a Denver comedian. And I said to him, but it's such a silly little joke. And he said, and he said something that I thought was really smart. He said, yeah, but do you want to die on that hill? Because you can put it in your special, but no network's going to touch the special because they're going to be scared. Cause I'm not Dave Chappelle. I can't get away with it yeah. now. So the, the networks are going to go, well, we don't, we don't want to take this for someone that's not even really famous. I mean, I'm kind of, I'm not Dave Chappelle famous. And so we just made the decision that like, if I could sit, and I could, I like that saying, do you want to die on that hill? I was like, do I want to make a statement with that one joke or do I want to sell my special? I want to sell my special. And if this is the environment that we're in right now, I can work around it. I'm good enough to work around it. All my jokes now, I work around it. There's still a lot of edgy stuff that I'm getting away with. But right now that happens to be the topic that you can't because some woman could yell out something to feel important. And I just felt like, that it, and I feel sad because it's a great joke and it's not out there now. And you know, and and this is the new society that we're creating, and it's bad for all of us. Everybody's getting hurt in this. Everybody, it is weird, man. It's look, we used to even Sarah Silverman is getting crap, but she did it right after Eddie Murphy had done a special where he went out in whiteface to make believe that he was a white man. Okay, and and none of us back then ever thought, and I think you're right, today it would be stupid to do it. But back then it was more acceptable to do that because we hadn't reached that point yet. If all of a sudden, you know, if all of a sudden I started doing something, like that's what I'm saying. If I made, I have a joke on one of my CTs and I'm so embarrassed of it, but it's funny. And I did it at a time when I was allowed to do it. And the joke is on Super Retardo, I, I said, uh, oh, my God, have you ever been having sex with a girl and she's just staring at you, bored, blowing her rape whistle? <laughs> and it was like – and it was – it would get a huge laugh. Yeah. And, and now I listen to it and I'm like, oh, my God, I can't take that one yeah. back. That's out there. <laughs> it's out there. Well, even – I, I mean, hope I don't get blamed for something that I did 13 freaking years ago. Even now, like the, – I mean the title Super Retardo. Oh, I know. They would have a problem with – and that's when I knew – like yeah. I've been in radio for 14 years and – I started in Philadelphia, and what happened was after Janet Jackson showed her boob, and you yeah, know, because you that's uh, when with Howard started, and everything, yeah. 
she showed her boob and then everybody started cracking down. And right. so the first radio job that I worked at, my cubicle, I was the producer for the show, but my job right. for a guy named Kid Chris, uh, we were in Philadelphia at the time. They had a guy named Jay and Jay's job was to sit there with a dump and just dump everything out of the show that could have been contru- uh, construed, construed as controversial. Anyway. And so my job was to sit next to Jay and every time he'd dump it, I'd have to run in and tell Chris what he dumped so Chris could argue with him because he hated getting dumped. Of course, yeah. So yeah. It, that's when I noticed, oh man, th- this isn't just like, hey, say whatever you want, do whatever you want. And then right. all of a sudden the word retard became the main thing of focus where everybody can't say it anymore. You can't cannot say, say at all. Retarded, you're uh, a retard. Not, and I went, okay, I could see how that could be offensive to somebody who has a family member who is mentally disabled, but it's also a medical diagnosis. And I went, you say, and it's ta- a word. It's allowed. You're taking away a word that, look, yeah, as a teenager, we said it, and I don't say it now on the air. It'd be fun at times. I get callers that are dumb, and I want to say that word, and I go, is yeah. it worth it? Is it worth it then have a mom of an autistic kid come down to the radio station? I get pulled into a meeting because I called somebody a retard just as a fleeting mention. It goes, they really, it's become this weird thing where freedom of speech is, you, know, you can have it, but just don't no, upset us. But what's really weird about Super Retardo is it's interesting. When I came up with the name for that CD, I remember laughing. And the reason why I came up with it was very interesting. But people are so, so, they want to explode immediately. The reason why I came up with it was I was at a show and I, you know, back then did more of a character on stage. I still kind of have a character on stage, but he's a little more adult now. And someone once came over to me afterwards and said, uh, you said to the owner, I think it's really commendable that you're hiring retarded comedians. (laughs) And I thought that was the funniest thing I ever said. So I said to my friend, if I was retarded, I would be super retarded because I would, I would be, I go, I'd be the superhero of retarded people because look how much I've done. And I said, I'm going to name it super retarded. But what I said was important was that if you look at the cover of the CD, and this is very important to me, the character super retardo is very heroic. I made sure that he wasn't drawn drooling, that he wasn't doing something stupid. No, he's got stupid. the big buffed out chest he's like Superman. He's out and he's got sex toys around his waist. And it was just <laughs> basically more a statement of like, he's a hero. And I had so many retarded people come up to me and say, we love this character. Like, you know, people who are autistic and say like, it's such a funny character. And I thought that was the joke is that I'm not making him a retarded person. I'm saying something, a real story that happened to me. If I was retarded, I would be this king of the retarded people because look how much I've done. Anyway, and all of a sudden it became this. And if I could go back, would I change it? I probably would because I know it's going to cause me a lot of strife probably as I move on. But I also know that if I can explain the story to people, I can say why that character meant something to me. And why I think it's so stupid that people are getting – and I think exactly what you said is right. It's like people are looking for a reason now. So you go, how much do you want to fight on this? So you, so words all of a sudden become something you can't use. And and you know something? It Just like you said, the Louis C.K. stuff is – people are still selling out his shows. I have a 12-year-old nephew and him, and I brought him and his friend to the pool. And – they were talking and I was listening to two 12 year olds talk. And it's very interesting. I was thinking they're being raised in a different environment than we were now. They're being raised about political terms and gay people. Gender neutral and, and all that. Yep. And, and don't you know that without them even knowing I was hearing, one of them said to the other one, hey, seriously, look at my ass. I got something on it. And he said, no homo. Now, that, if you remember, no homo is something you used to say yep. when you were a kid to prove that you weren't gay. And I was like, so even with everything that they're doing and saying – there's still kids going like, look at my ass, no homo. And you're like, it doesn't, 
kids will be kids. It's natural. It's just the way that they were talking. Kids will be kids. Yeah. And, and, and they're trying so much to socialize this out of kids and it's, it's not going to work. And everybody's just scared now of saying everybody, else. the trans people are so scared of people saying things about them. And I'm like, but this is how everybody got along because everybody gets made fun of for everything, everything. Mm -hmm. I've been made fun of my whole life for being short. I get made fun of my whole life because I happen to be hairy, which I have to shave my entire body constantly. <laughs> you look hairless, so good for you. Because it's shaved. Yeah. I'm shaved. My wife is like, you have to shave. You're disgusting. I, we all have our crap that we deal with. And it's a weird thing that the trans movement and the gay movement have now taken on this thing. Like we're the worst. Like we have to deal with so much more without ever understanding all the other stuff that people deal with as well in, in their own personal things yeah. and life. And I've had to deal my whole life with hearing that I was short. Do I now have to, do I get to now make a rule that you can't call people Hey, you short, you know, short, shorty, shorty. And, yep, I don't want tiny, that. Hurts my feelings. Midget. I don't want to hear about that. You, freaking our own president is putting down short people constantly. You know what it does? It makes me laugh and go, he's such an idiot. It doesn't make me think yeah. to myself like he shouldn't say that, you know, well, he shouldn't say it, but, but do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it doesn't make me think that someone should get in trouble for saying no, it. No, I did. Um, we, did, we were talking on the air one night about, uh, a girl's pegging, uh, a girl putting a strap on on and giving yeah. it to a guy. And yeah. a guy had called in and we were just having a conversation. And I asked him because he said he was into that. And I said, uh, you know, I've done it in my past. And I said, and I asked him, I go, do you think that's a homosexual act? Do you think it's a gay act to have a woman put a strap on on and have sex with you? And the guy said, no, if it's a girl doing it, it's not a gay of act. Of course. And the next thing I know, I'm in the program director's office for a meeting because no. I can't say gay act on the air. Somebody heard it. They were Get homosexual out. and they were offended. I went, but it was just a conversation between, and I didn't mean anything bad by it. I was asking, is that an act that would be... Be considered because some men would and I the well, way I, I was, even phrased it was some men would look at that even though it's a woman and consider it a homosexual act do you and that was enough for somebody just to hear me talk about it being a gay act not listening to the context and get upset really and write a interesting and now I get pulled into a meeting about it I go, this is ridiculous Dude, it's a very similar story to when I started to realize that it started to change so I used to make a lot of money. I used to make over $300,000 a year just playing colleges. Of course, that's wow. over now. You can't, as a comedian, go into colleges. It's really? Just I used to make a lot of money at colleges. And, um, and I remember I used to do an act at all my college shows. And it's very similar to what you're, you were just saying. I did a joke that I said, I'd love to be gay. I would be gay. I get so I get along with gay people so much better. I would love to be gay just as long as you didn't have to do the gay sex part. Yeah. I said, because after a couple minutes, I think I would be like, ow, dude, that really hurts. Let's cuddle. <laughs> That's it. That was the joke. And yeah. it's harmless and sweet. And then I'd be like, and then I would go into the whole thing. But everything else gay seems like fun. You get to do this. You get to snuggle with your friends. You get to blah, blah, blah. So I was doing a college and it was never an issue, that joke. And then all of a sudden, 12 people just got up and left in the middle of my show, like marched out vigilantly. And I remember going like, that's confusing. Like what, what was that about? And at the end of the show, they came over to my table where I was selling my stuff. And they were like, we just want you to know, I can't even do a gay impression. Now. Get <laughs> we, we just want you to know that we think that was really offensive. What you said. And I said, because I was learning this is a new world, what did I say that offended you? And they said, you said you wouldn't want to be gay because the gay sex part, you'd, you'd be like, ow, quit it. That hurts. And I go, right. I go, I've had anal sex with the girls. They tell me it hurts. I go, I think it would hurt if I did it. But why can't I say how that hurts? And I remember him looking at me and going, and he was like the head of the gay, the gay 
Brigade. He goes, <laughs> the gay well, brigade. you're saying that something is bad that's very beautiful to us. And I said, I'm not saying anything's bad. I'm saying I would say, ow, that hurts. If you think it feels good, all the more power to you. Yeah. I'm not saying not to do it. And I realized, oh, I'm fighting with a moron. They just want to fight. They want to be college kids that are protesting something. I didn't say anything at all about like those gays. How about those gays taking in the butt? Yeah. Like, I was just like, <laughs> nothing. I basically said, I want to be gay. Yeah. And I was like, that's when I knew immediately it's a different world. And it, and then not long after that, I went to a college and they, they said, okay, uh, we have some rules. And I still going like, okay, rules. I never heard rules before I went on stage. And they said, uh, our rule is you can't talk to anyone in the audience. And I said, what do you mean? I can't talk to, I'm a stand-up comedian. And they said, we don't want anybody to feel singled out. So you're not allowed to talk to someone. The, and I said to be to be annoying. What if someone heckles me? Can I talk back to them? And they said, no, we'll handle it. We'd rather you didn't talk to the heckler either. Wow. I said, so I'm not even allowed to defend myself. Yeah, they're taking all it. the tools out of your belt, man. And they said, yeah. And they said, yeah, don't talk to anyone in the audience. And I think it was not long after that I never worked at college again. And now colleges, you know, get puppet shows, basically. That's Ugh. the comedian. Well, I think you said, because you said it's a bunch of morons. I'm dealing with morons. I think that's what we're realizing is that there's a lot more morons than we yes, ever sir. assumed there were. Yep. And now these morons are banding together and they're taking up these moronic causes. And they're and doing gay acts constantly. <laughs> <laughs> this is Mitch Fatale. You can see him all weekend long. Weird part, Thursday, 7 p.m. tonight. Friday, 7 p.m., but they don't have a 9 p.m. show No, listed. no, only one show on Friday. Only one show Friday. Florida, a lot of old people. Two shows Saturday, 7 and 9, and then one show on Sunday. Sunday. Uh, the new special coming out, Bad Girls. Uh, it'll be coming out in the wintertime. Look for that on Hulu and Amazon. We started the conversation off with three things that you were terrible at when you started comedy. Oh, the first was emceeing. Right. What were the other two? Radio is one of them, but you've come around full. I mean, we've been talking for 34 minutes. It's been right. great. Right. It was radio, emceeing. Oh, man, dude. And you forgot the third one? I, and I had a bad memory. That was the third. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't remember. Well, let's talk about radio. Maybe it'll come back. So you were a bad radio guest when you first started. Yes. Uh, I remember the third. All right. What is it? I'll write it down and we'll get to it. The third was, I'll never forget this. I put out my first <laughs> CD. It was okay. called Mini Skirts and Muffins. Still a classic. And I remember saying to my producer, uh, okay, so how do we sell this? We, it was, you know, websites were new and stuff. And he's like, yeah, we can sell on the website. He said, but you're going you're gonna to have to sell it at your shows. And I said, what do you mean sell it at my shows? He says, after the show, you're going to have to go out and you're going to have to sell stuff to the audience. And Merch. I was like, I, no, I'm not going to do that. I was like, I'm bad at that. I wouldn't know how to talk to the people. Yeah. And he did basically like, this is going to be the brunt of your sales is live sales. Like, and I realized after you perform, you are in such a beautiful position to sell stuff because people love you. Like if you've done good, they love you. And what do you want to do with people you love? You want to support them. You want to buy something. You want yep. a piece of them. And I realized that, like, I had to get good at that. So I put away that, like, okay. I used to think when I got off stage, I was off stage and I could just veg and relax. I was like, nope. When I go off stage, I have another 15 minutes where I'm performing. I consider it another performance where I go out. I smile constantly. I shake everybody's hand. I talk to them. And, you know, that's that's something I had to get good at was – even, and I even enjoy it now, getting to know people. You know, Burt Kreischer is the king of that. Burt Kreischer parties with his audience afterwards. Dude, the best show, the best I've done, uh, I've had, I being on the radio, you're lucky. You get some cool spots. Uh, Louis Anderson sure. asked me to come out and do, um, he was doing the Capitol Theater 
which were the a thousand seat venue, and yeah. it had to be completely clean. And I was like, oh, I can I can do that. And <laughs> and like he, I had interviewed him a month before, and I went, all right, so I got about four minutes of clean stuff. I'll try yeah. and come up with six minutes before, and it ended up going well. My mom flew in from New Jersey to oh. see it because she's a big Louis Anderson fan. That's awesome. That was the I thought the cool show, but I also did a show with Bert. He did a call out of sick to work show yeah. where on like a Wednesday I've done that he him. packed the improv in downtown Tampa yeah. from the bottom all the way up to the top, all three floors were stacked with people who took off the day to come drink, party with Bert, and go watch stand-up comedy. Yeah. And he does. He continues that party on. I went on a cruise with him and Cowhead for yeah. seven days out into like the Caribbean. And it was Bert, Ralphie May, uh, Cowhead, and then there were some funny comedians. What do those three have in common besides the fact that they were all insanely overweight? <laughs> <laughs> that was it. Yeah. Eating and drinking the yeah, whole trip, man. Drinking. It was right before Ralphie passed. Like he, he died like seven or eight months when we got back from uh, that trip. Yeah. Um, but and honestly, one of the sweetest people that I ever came across in stand up was Ralphie May. Ralphie May. He would like we were because there's you know how you can go to the buffet with all the the uh-huh. commoners. Ralphie was like, hey, why don't you take your family and I'll take you guys to the Italian dinner or the Italian yeah. restaurant on the boat and paid for it. I went. That was the, that was him. He did all that kind of stuff. A good dude, man. And uh, it's sad to see someone like that go. But doing that show with Burt Kreischer, you step and it went from that's when like you know how you have to find your voice. It was one of those moments where I, I feel like I found my voice in stand-up. I went, oh, I want to do what he does. Like, because yeah. it's, yeah, it's comedy, but it's like, it's like rock star comedy. He comes on the stage and it's a whirlwind and he's, it's a party. He's a rock star. He is the new, like, y- you need a new every, every, and hopefully it ends better, but he's almost the new Sam Kinison. He doesn't have any kind of Sam Kinison act, but that new party animal kind of like, yeah. Sam was the real deal. That was what. Did Sam you ever get was. to meet Sam? Yeah, I did. Because working with Howard or I met doing stand up. Howard and he was very mean to me. Right. <laughs> because he was very coked out. Oh yeah. He was insanely Dude, coked out. Those were some life. of the best shows. Was hearing Kinnison in the green room, drunk on champagne, and Howard going, "I don't know what I'm going to do with this guy. Yeah. He's wasted." And it's nine o'clock in the morning. You're yeah. going, "Oh, that's a cool life." Yeah, he was a crazy man, and 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 the only thing I've ever hated in life, and I think you'll agree with me, Rob. The only thing you ever really hate is someone who's a phony. Whenever you can figure out someone's a phony, this is why we usually hate our presidents because they say one thing and then you can kind of feel like they're doing another and and they get you mad. But there's always those people in life that are just real and you go, that's who they are. And Sam was one of those guys and Bert's one of those guys. Yeah. Like Bert's doing it because he loves, that's, you know, and a long time ago I realized like, that's not me. Like I'm really quiet, introverted guy off stage. I get very nervous meeting the audience afterwards because I feel like I'm going to let them down. You know, I'm a very, very small, sweet kid basically inside. Yeah. But then a guy like Bert, like that's really Bert. And that was really Ralphie. Like they love to party and stuff and that's who they are. And and I love that. I think that's what people respond to with that. Even in fighting, do you like UFC by any chance? No, I've, I'll watch it if it's on, but yeah, I'm not a big sports there's guy. There's a couple of UFC fighters. I'm a big UFC guy, and there's a couple of UFC fighters that I don't necessarily even like, but people love them because they're just so real. That's you know, And I think that's – even though they're idiots, they're real, and people like real people. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. You say we find out our – like, look, I'm not – super political but i liked obama i liked what he when he came in office i was in college and yeah. it was change we're going to change the world together and then two weeks ago i saw that he he bought like a 60 million dollar mansion yeah. i go all right part of me is mad because i'm like well what happened to the change we're going to do this all well, together but yeah. the other part is like look the guy is a civil servant for his entire life he worked his ass off to get to be president i go you know what if he wants to buy a 60 million dollar mansion and he's got the money good for him but that it is you feel let down when you go oh yeah. so he doesn't I was let 
letdown. I, the the big Obama letdown for me was honestly was the Obamacare thing because I, as a comedian who worked so hard to get to buy my own, you know, I liked my doctor and all that stuff. And I remember all that stuff, and I trusted. He's like, you can keep your doctor. And now I realize, looking back, like they were literally just force feeding us whatever they felt that we needed to hear. Right, they're doing it and now too, man. But bothers yeah, bothers me and that kind of stuff. And that's why I'm saying all politicians. It's hard to find a politician that's honest, like that, because I, maybe that's just a game that they play, or maybe Rob, you can't get to that point without being that kind of person. Does yeah, makes sense because because there are a certain amount of Democrats in the in the primaries who have stuck. To, like I by no means am a socialist, and it seems like the only people that are going to get the nomination are so socialist and any centrist Democrat, which is, I think all we want is centrist. I mean, personally, well, it's just so far to one side one on side. both sides. I want someone right in the Thank middle. You. That would be fine with and me. And any Democrat that's talking centrist is like, no, nope, no, nope, we gotta, we gotta do away with airplanes. Like, it's just like <laughs> yep. crazy. Well, it goes because like it swung so far to one side and now it's swinging so far back to the other. I go, yep. eventually it's going to meet in the middle somewhere, but I mean, can we survive it? I, it's weird. The country that we live in now, you talked about it earlier, but we're tearing each other apart. Like right? it really is. It, it went from, I don't know, with Obama, I really felt like we were going to be this nation that was united. We looked past skin color. We elected a black yeah. man. Like it was, we're changing the world. And then eight years later, it's like, what really? changed i'm kind of still doing the same thing i was doing before at the same pay rate not much has changed for me i'm not the smartest guy in the world but can i tell you why i think trump got elected and because after obama this is my theory because we the democrats overplayed their hand they thought that obama was elected because he was a black guy but he wasn't he was elected because he's brilliant he's a brilliant orator he knew how to speak he knew how to bring the country together and i think that they just made a decision well, now it's time for a woman. And yeah, it would have been time for a woman, but Hillary is a miserable human being. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't look like nobody she's a nice wants person. to look at. No. Nobody likes. And I think that they overplay their hand that I think that Trump was more more the Democrats messy. I think Trump Hillary lost. I don't think Trump won. Does that make sense? Yeah, and they well, they set up Hillary to lose or to well, the DNC set up Bernie Sanders to lose because they it was rigged. They were trying Everything to push so rigged. So Hillary like Clinton. Yeah, and there's no one on the left now. I like there's no one. No, like, and that's the thing. And I don't like anybody on the right either. And so I go, I just don't want it to continue the way it is. <laughs> well, what do we do? <laughs> Maybe me and you have to run. We move. Well, I I just moved the short guys. Yeah, the, the little guy campaign. <laughs> I just moved to Cape Coral and uh, which is a suburb here. And I literally I've been I moved down here. I started nine months ago on the radio, but I would drive from St. Petersburg, and that's a four hour drive every day. Yeah, And I finally was like, you know what, I'm going to move the family down here. We moved down here. And you start seeing little things that are wrong in the city. And you're like, well, I, mm -hmm. I would like to change that. So I started a segment where people will call in from Cape Good Coral. And I go, hey, call in Mayor Rob. Let's talk about these. And look, my contract is up in 2022. And that is when they're going to be doing a new mayor campaign, a new mayoral race uh, in Cape Coral. And I went, mayor Rob. well, look at that. I'll be in the middle of contract negotiations. How do you not re-sign the guy that's running for mayor? And I went, all right, here's an I a, love it. But, Trump did the same thing, man. It was about The Apprentice. He was trying to get better ratings for The Apprentice. He had no idea he was going to win. And Howard says, Howard was the person that went on the air and went, he doesn't want to be president. He's, he was doing this as a publicity campaign, and all of a sudden, like, it it took off. And now, yeah. now he's going, how do I get out of this? Yeah. Um, let me ask you, Mitch Fatel joining sure. me in studio, because I am a huge Howard fan. And you started, well, first of all, you started stand-up at 14 years old, correct? Think, you went to classes I at 14. I think I went to classes at 14 and started doing my first stand-up show when I was 15. And then you quit for four years when you were 17 or 18, right? Yeah, you know it all. I do. I, I read up. Uh, so what happened? You had a bad set and you were like, I'm not doing this anymore? No, honestly, the it, it, 
if you really want me to get honest, yeah. and it's very, very serious and it's very sad. Um, my mom was mentally ill. Okay. She still is. She's barely alive and she's mentally ill and she wasn't supportive of my career. And I brought her to see my show when I was 15 years old and I, she told me that I died. She's like, wow, you really died. My mom. And I actually did good. Yeah. Like she didn't, she <laughs> yeah. didn't want me. My mom has a little bit of the Munchausen syndrome, okay. which is they try to keep your child home. Mm-hmm. That's she was they, scared yeah. that if I got successful, I would leave her. So she tried to keep me down. So I got very depressed. I did a couple shows and I didn't have the balls to keep going back up because when you first start out, you die a lot. And I had a couple of bad shows and my mom and dad were telling me that, yeah, you're not good at this. You're not good at this. And I knew I was good. I knew yeah. I was meant to do it, but I was just, I didn't have the wherewithal at that time in my life to go and w- weather that storm. Ironically, and this is why I'm so against socialism, the reason why I learned to weather the storm was because I finally was broke. Like I was 18 years old. I worked for Howard and Howard uh, – I stopped working for Howard and then I had nothing. I was waiting on tables and it was a very weird time in my life because I had gotten a little bit of fame from the Howard Stern show. Yeah. Intern, and all of a sudden I was waiting on people at a truck stop overnight <laughs> and people would come in and they'd go like, hey, you're Mitch the Intern. And I'd be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And they'd be like, no, man, I know you're Mitch the Intern. Yeah. And I would go, if I was Mitch the Intern, why would I be waiting on tables at a truck stop in the middle of the night? And they go like, that's what I can't figure out. And I go, like, because <laughs> I'm not Mitch, I'm not Mitch the intern. Yeah. And, and and then one day I went home and I was like, well, what am I going to do? I can't just work at a truck stop overnight. Yeah. And I was like, I got to get back on stage. I got to back. I hadn't got back on stage since my parents told me how horrible I had done. So I um, went back on stage and I was good immediately. And then everything. So started. you, so you, you give up stand up for a little bit. You end up going. Was it NYU that you were going yeah. to? And then you were roommates with Stuttering John, and he got picked to go to the Stern show. And then that's when they hired you as an intern as well. No, 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 no. I was working on the Howard Stern show because I had worked on a TV show. Do you remember an old comedian named David Brenner? Yeah, he stole one of your bits, right? You know a lot. <laughs> this is really cool. yeah. It's my job, you, man. Yeah, I like to read up on you. Do a lot of stuff, David Brenner. Broke my heart. He he stole he stole a bit that I wrote for his show and aired it. And I sat at home in a hotel room and cried. In a hotel room, a dorm room, and cried because I was watching people watch my bit that nobody knew. I with no credit to you, nothing. Who was credited? Do you remember who was credited? Really for the skit? Yeah, because for the um, Writers Guild, they had to say that someone wrote it on the show. What I realize now is he couldn't just take a skit that someone gave him and put it on. They have a Writers Guild. That's illegal. So rather than figure out how to get me part of the Writers Guild or do the right thing, he just stole it. It was easier to take it. It's the way life works. So he took your bit. And then how do you end up working for David Brenner? So then – Oh, so I'm, well, I'm working for David Brenner on his TV show. Okay. That's, that's how he stole the bit. I wrote the bit for okay, him. Okay, so you were already working on the show as the writer and they working took it. On the, okay. No, I was working on the show as an intern. Okay. I wrote that bit, gave it to Dave. He stole it. Uh, I was depressed and Howard Stern was – the only reason I stayed working on the show was because Howard Stern was going to be a guest and he was my hero. And the first time Howard Stern walked into the studio, I remember thinking – there he is. That's how much I loved him. I was like, there he is. Like, oh my God, I couldn't yeah. believe it. And all of a sudden I realized I was just standing with Gary. Oh, Baba Booey. Yeah, so this just, is what, 88, 89, 90? Probably exactly then. Yeah, right in that area. Right in that area. Where Howard was, and he still is the king in New York. I mean, he's on Sirius now, right. but he was every radio. They said oh, at one was. point, one out of four cars was tuned into Howard. And I went, man, that's crazy. He was a phenomenon. That well, He was Elvis of the radio. Yeah. He really was. And no one will ever be him again. 
No one. He was just so good. And that's why when I hear other guys trying to be him, I'm like, you can never really be Howard. Just be yourself. Like yeah. he could, he was just such a force. And anyway, um, I was just standing there next to Baba Booey and I just said, Hey, by the way, I'm an intern here. My name is Mitch. And if you ever need an intern for your show, I would love to work on the Howard search. He said, give me your phone number and I'll keep it with my other phone numbers. And of course I didn't think about it. Yeah. And that was it. And then six months went by. I wasn't working on the David Brenner show anymore. And all of a sudden I'll never forget. My mom goes, there's a, there's a, Gary Delabate on the phone for you. <laughs> and I remember going like, are you serious? And I remember taking the phone and my knees went weak because I had been listening to Howard since I was 15. And all of a sudden I'm talking to Gary on the phone. Yeah. And he said, yeah, we have an internship available. Would you be interested? And I said, oh my God. Yeah. Started working on that show. Did it for about nine months. Stuttering John was not my roommate. He was in one of my classes with me at NYU. He thought it was really cool. I worked on the show I, he kept saying, can you get me on the show? Can you get me on the show? And I said, you know, no, because I wanted it for myself. And then I crashed my car going into the show one day. I hydroplaned into a tree okay. and totaled my car. Had no way to go into work anymore. My parents weren't going to give me a car again. They'd already given me this car, so it was over. So uh, I then went into Howard and I said, hey, I have a guy that keeps saying he wants to be your intern. And I remember saying this like, but there's a problem. He stutters really bad. And before <laughs> I could problem. say That's a it, gold mine. Yeah. Howard was like, hire him, <laughs> hire him. And then he was hired. And Man, the and then John went on. I mean, he was there. And then he went on to The Tonight Show, which you also, you were a correspondent yeah. for The Tonight Show. Yeah. So you start, you get back into stand-up after you were, how long did you work for Howard? Nine months altogether? Only, or? only eight or nine months. But yeah. I mean, they. I remember them. Didn't they, they, I think they laughed at you for going back to doing comedy at one point. I remember hearing you on there yeah. and Howard's like, were you going to be a stand-up comedian? That's what you want to go and do. And well, they behold, laughed you did at it. me. Not only did they laugh at me and tell me, Howard said on air, now by the way, this is my hero, my hero who I adore, said on the air one day, I feel so bad for that kid, Mitch. He wants to be a stand-up comedian in the worst way and he's got absolutely no talent. <laughs> and I remember feeling just crestfallen, like literally like someone had sucked my heart out. My yeah. hero had told me that. After I did my first Letterman, he uh, had me in and he said, and I'll never forget this, he said, I'm so proud of you. And he said, Robin, I was watching him and I was like, this is our old intern. And, he, and the exact words he said to Robin were, kid's really funny. The kid's really funny. And I remember thinking that was the moment I never got from my dad. Like that, that adoration, was, that yeah, respect, that telling me that I was good. Yeah, yeah, it still makes me want to cry now. Like it was like it was that was the most special thing I had ever heard. And then you went on. I mean, because you went on to. I mean, you were on Letterman. Is that when you go on? Because that was your first national TV appearance. I, I know you did like Doctor Katz and stuff, and you voiced. No, a that character. was my first stand-up Na national appearance. Letterman. Letterman. Like, Letterman. is there? What are the feelings before you go into that? Well, do you want to hear a very, very good story yeah. that I think is stupid? Sure. And everybody says to me, it's a great story. But now that I look back, I'm like, no, it's a really stupid thing I did. But thank God I had my adolescence to do it in and to stick to my idealism. We talk about – me and you just had a little bit of political discussion. Socialism a lot of time is based in this utopia that as you get older, you realize – can't really exist. You can you can look at what you wish, you hope for it, and and I believe the idealism is beautiful of children, of of teenagers. And I had that idealism, and I had watched the uh, David Letterman show my whole entire life since I was 
14 years old all the way up until 25 or 30. I started doing stand-up comedy and I said, the first show I ever do is going to be the Letterman show. Let David Letterman's going to say my name as the first time. The first time I ever hear my name on national television, it's going to be David Letterman. Not cable stuff. It was going to be national television. Yeah. David Letterman was going to say, and that was my goal. And I got a call from my agent at the time. And she said, Ruth Ann Secunda, and she said, uh, what, what are you doing next Tuesday? And I said, um, nothing. And she said, okay, good. The Conan O'Brien show wants you on. And I said, no, I can't do it. Wow. And she said, what, what do you mean you can't do it? You're out of town? I said, no, I can't do the Conan O'Brien show because the first show I do has to be the David Letterman show. Wow. And she said, no, you have to do the Conan O'Brien show. And I, I mean, it wasn't even a conversation. I was like, no, no, I have no interest in doing any other show besides the Letterman show. She went back to the Conan O'Brien people and said, Mitch doesn't want to do the show. He said he wants to do Letterman first. And they said, we're, we're offering him a spot on late night on late night yeah. show. What does he care if the, cause at that point he followed Leno, right? That was the late, late show with, or the late show with. He, no, he fought fo- Dave followed at that time. The Carson, sh- it was the CBS show. Oh, so, okay. So this so is, he was in competition okay. with, with Jay. Um, and I, he said, uh, I, I said, uh, yeah. And then Conan used to follow Letterman. Yeah. And I said, um, no, I can't do it. And even everybody was like, and then they said to him, but he doesn't even know if the Conan O'Brien, they said to Ruth Ann, but he doesn't even know if the Letterman show is going to have him on. And Ruth Ann said that to me. And I said, I'll get on Letterman. I'll get on Letterman. And they said, okay. And, and two months later, I got on the Letterman Wow. Show. It's a great story because it ended with that. With yeah. You getting on the Letterman If it didn't show. and you ended up, you know, working at a bowling alley. Oh, I could have been on the Cody but show. I look back at that story now and I'm not proud of it because how dare you turn down a late night TV show? Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, in my mind, there was no reason to do that. There was no reason to be so disrespectful. And as a result, the Conan O'Brien show had a bad relationship with me after that. Never put me on again. Really? I did do it once. They had me on once. Did they bring up the Letterman thing or no? Nope. They avoided it altogether. They didn't bring it up. And But the point being that I look back now and realize when you're in show business, you have to the, – the opportunities are so few and far between. So it would literally be like you right now turning down this job because you're like, I'm going to be mayor. Like, <laughs> no, okay, but there's no reason for you not to do this job yes. until you become mayor. But in hindsight – what if you had gone on Conan and then you don't get Letterman? Like that could have happened. And you could have gone on Conan and a booker for Letterman sure. could have seen that. And then all of a sudden you're not on Letterman. And your That's dream a great doesn't point. Come true. Never looked at it like that. And that could have haunted me the rest of my life. Would yeah. I have ever gotten on Letterman if I waited? Man, it re- I'm glad that it worked out. Cause if it didn't, then you'd spend the rest of your life going, man, what would have happened if I went on yeah. Conan? That's a weird thing. This is Mitch Fatel. You can see him True. all weekend long. Uh, Mitch, I appreciate you coming in, man. This has love been fun. Long form. Love it. Love it. I love just talking. Yeah, it's this great. has been fun, man. I'm going to put this up as a podcast and right, awesome. uh, I'll air some clips tonight, but it's been uh, a pleasure. Cause I have, what's the podcast name? Rob show. You just could put okay, in Rob simple. show and it'll take you. Um, but yeah, man, I've been a, a huge fan. He just I remember hearing you on Howard because I remember I thought J- uh, Stutter and John got you in there. And now looking back and hearing the story, I remember them playing it on the air where you brought him in. And yeah. they, hey, this is I got to ask you when you because I when I first started interning, it was the biggest deal in the world. Oh, like geez. I'd always wanted to be on the radio. I always listened to Howard. I listened to this guy in Philadelphia named Kid Chris for years, and he had uh, 
they had after Howard left, they put on David Lee Roth on the radio and I it tanked. That. And then they brought in, they flipped the free FM format and went back to a whole bunch of music. Right. And Chris got Howard's old st- uh, slot oh, on YSP. Yeah. So he took over mornings from oh. the King. And so it was the biggest deal. And I went up there and then I remember I was like the golden intern for the first like four or five months. And then I got hired and I was like on the show, but I was also in promotions. Yeah. And I was still considered an intern because I was still working for free for yeah. a certain amount of hours. Yeah. And then they brought in the new batch of interns. And I got jealous. And I was like, man, I'm no longer like the special guy. But all of those guys kind of sucked and it nothing panned out. Whereas with you, Stutter and John was like the big like he was, I mean, getting punched in the face by Roy Schneider or Rob Schneider on right, the or Roy yeah. Schneider on the red carpet. Like, yeah. I mean, he got in fights with uh, oh, he Morton Downey Jr. Level. Was it hard sitting there and watching? Like, as as an intern, you're seeing somebody else come in and all of a sudden now they're the superstar. I gotta be honest with you, there's there's a weird period in my life when I stopped working for the Howard Stern show, I never listened to it again. Yeah. Because it became so painful for me because Howard didn't like me. When Howard told me I wasn't funny, I couldn't listen anymore. And yeah, that did hurt me that John was getting so successful. But I realized the show had moved on. Once you, once I had worked on the show, I always say, have you ever heard the saying, like, you don't want to meet your heroes? Yeah, I want to meet Springsteen, but I also don't because if don't. he's a dick, it could ruin it you for You don't want to meet your heroes. I My biggest hero is Steve Martin. And Steve Martin's... Put it, started tweeting. And I was like, oh my God, Steve Martin. Now, Steve Martin has been my hero since. This is the reason why I'm a stand-up comedian. Okay. Steve Martin is the reason that I am who I am right now. And I was on Twitter and Steve Martin started putting out his tweets and I would be like, my Twitter is so much funnier than Steve Martin's Twitter. Like, <laughs> it, And it, I was so much funnier than him. And I realized... I don't want him to come down in my eyes. I don't want to be an equal with Steve Martin. I don't want to think I could write for Steve Martin. Steve Martin was a hero of mine. Yeah. And he was the only one I had left. Steve Martin is still the only guy I've never met. Really? That I think that I don't want to meet because I think I, but I would cry if I met him. He's Steve Martin. He changed everything for me. And Howard was one of my heroes too. And Letterman was one of my heroes. And I've met all these people and they've done nothing but become real to me. And you need to have that hero. It's like, it's like, you know, did you see Finding Neverland? No, the Michael Jackson. Yeah, uh, Michael Jackson. See it because it's heartbreaking because you see this hero taking advantage of these kids that just adored him, yeah. you know, and you realize like, that's the biggest dream killer in the world is when you realize that your heroes are just normal guys that just want to get off, you know, like it's just, you know, and, and when I met Howard and when I met Dave and I started learning about them and stuff and, and, and so in a weird sort of way, once I had been a part of Howard's show and knew too much of what went on behind the scenes, I never wanted to listen to the show anymore. Yeah. And, and that's what I, like I've heard. There was a few months ago, somebody released an hour long video of a conference that he did it, with the just staff. watched it. And I went, I like, I, I would tune in and I watched little clippets and I went, it's ruining the show for me. Just I still it. listen to this day. And I went, yeah. I can't, ha- I don't want the curtain pulled back that much. Yes. The one thing I you love I'm talking about. about Howard's show is the way that it has evolved over the years. And yeah. I think that's when it loses cast members like you, when you lose an Artie, when you lose a Jackie, when you have yeah. KC leaves and stuttering John leaves, the show continues. And it's always been that dynamic. Howard, Robin, and Fred, and it's going to yeah. stay that nucleus until one of them croaks or they all decide at the end, hey, I don't want to do it. But that's why it continues. And uh, honestly, out of 
If you would have said, if you would have asked anybody back in 1987, you think Howard Stern's going to still be on the radio in 2019? No yeah. way. People thought it yeah. was a flash in the pan. There's a reason why it's not. It evolved. It's it's Kiss with Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons, and I believe you know, I believe that you know, uh, uh, Fred is kind of like Ace Freely. Like they could be without Ace. Like yeah. you know, it still existed. Kiss is Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley. As long as you have those two, they can always tour. If you take away one of them, it's not Kiss anymore. <laughs> I think Howard Stern and Robin are that. Yeah, it is, and it, 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 it's why it's still a good show. Thirty years on, man, it's, yeah. uh, it's fun to listen to. Well, thank you so much, Mitch Fatel. See him all weekend. The new special, Bad Girls. Look for it on Hulu or Amazon. It'll be on one of those two right now. We have interest from both of those networks. Congratulations, man. That's awesome to hear. Hey, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I had a good time. Cool. Mitch Fattel, everybody. Thanks for checking out the Robcast. If you dug this, subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash robshow. Follow me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash robshowtv. And keep up to date with all things Rob Show on social, the Rob Show, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.